Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to John chapter 4? We're going to start in verse 1. Let me pray for us this morning. Dear God, we are thankful for who you are. God, we are thankful for the opportunity to come here and to open up your word and to leave this place different than when we came in. That is our goal, that is our purpose, to not be people who remain the same week after week, but people who are growing into your likeness. So God, this morning as we look at John chapter 4 and we look at the woman at the well and we look at our lives in comparison to the way that Jesus lived his, God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in this place today. God, I thank you for how you've moved in the past at this church. I thank you for how you are being faithful now in this day in this church. And I thank, thank you for how you will be faithful to this church far past when any of us are here. God, you are good and you are holy, and you are worthy. God, I want to ask especially for Keith today as he is away from us getting rest. Would you fill him with just a restful spirit that he's able to rejuvenate and learn and just uh, sit on the beach and enjoy being with his family. God, we just thank you for this morning. God, fill us up now with your word, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a fantastic passage found in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. What a good Thing to look at, what a good thing for us to relate to. Um, there's many different ways we can look at this, and I'm going to give you four necessities. Uh, Jeff wanted to sing the bare necessities this morning, but um, didn't go with it. I'm glad he didn't. Um, but I have been to seminary, and I'm in there now, so you can see that all four points start with the word necessity. Um, it's something that we learn there, uh, how to make all the points rhyme or sound the same or start with the same letter, so it's pretty cool. Um, but the first thing that we're going to look at in John chapter 4 is the necessity for Jesus to do the will of God. Right off the bat, we're going to look at the necessity for Jesus to do the will of God. Let me start reading here in in John chapter 4, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you would follow along with me in your uh, Bible. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. Now the first thing that I want us to realize is that Jesus was about doing and had to do the will of God. This was his purpose, this was his life. He was all about doing and living out the will of God. It was almost compulsory for him to do the will of God. If you can see, we have a little map, I think, somewhere that'll show up um, right here. You can see that Jesus was in Judea, and he had to go to Galilee. Now, you can see Samaria is right in the middle. So you might think, yeah, Jesus had to go through Samaria, right? He had to go right up the middle, right up through the Samaria. Well, customary in this day was Samaria was a just terrible town. You've heard of the Good Samaritans, there was like one. Apparently, they were all terrible, terrible people. So the Jews would always go around. They would go up here by the Jordan. You can see right here on the Jordan to the right up here, they would go around Samaria all the way up by the Jordan to get to Galilee. It was insane that they would do this, but they, they were so worried about being defiled by the, by the Samaritans because they were just such terrible people. Now, can you imagine in our day if we were in Florida and we just decided, you know what, those Alabamians are just horrible horrible people. They've got diseases. I don't want what they've got. I'm going to go just, I'm going to go around Alabama all the way up to get anywhere up north. Not going to do it. We'd be a little offended, wouldn't we? Right? 
We don't want people going around us. But that is the case here that the Jews would take from Judea and they'd go all the way around Samaria. And so it's interesting that the Bible would say in verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. If we look at this word even further, the word is just D, D-E-I. In this word, we see it come up over and over for a necessary compulsion that Jesus had to do things according to the will of God. If you look through the Gospels, we can see Matthew 16, 21. It said, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. In Mark 8, 31, it says, and, beginning, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. So we see from this word that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was being compulsed by the Spirit of God to go through Samaria on his way to Judea. Now, this is interesting for us. How do we, how do you and I have a kind of spirit in us that is compulsed by the Spirit to do as the will of God requires of us? It's a big question. And it's right there on your outline. How do we, as believers, how do we know and how do we do the will of God? I'm sure if you're any far along in your Christian faith, these are questions that you've journaled or you sit in bed at night thinking, oh, God. What is your will, and how in the world am I supposed to do it? You've probably said questions like, man, God, if you want me to sell everything and go, I'll do it. Whatever you want, I'll be glad to do it. I just don't know what it is, right? We sit and try to figure out God's will. We try to understand, God, what is your will? And this is good. Ephesians 5.17 tells us that we should look for the will of God and try to find the will of God. But I know myself, I find myself searching and seeking after the will of God and asking over and over, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? I'll be glad to do it. I just don't know what it is. And I spend so much time just looking for, searching after, trying to find the will of God. I want to be compelled, like Jesus was, to just do the will of God. It doesn't make sense sometimes. I'm just going to do it. But I think the Bible gives us a clear picture of what the will of God is. The revealed will of God we find in 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to be saved and come to repentance. We know that this is the will of God, that all men might come to him and all men might know him. This is the purpose for Jesus passing through Samaria, and this is our purpose today, that all men might know Christ as king. This changes everything. Instead of asking questions like, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Do I marry this girl? Do I go to this place? Do I lose my job? Do I keep doing this? Instead of doing that, we become, God, how can your will be done now in my place that I'm at now? Recently, I had the fantastic opportunity to have an interview with Dr. Henry Blackaby. The company I work for is a book publishing company, and we just published one of his new books called An Accountable, but he is most famous for experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. And so we had this phone conversation, and I don't know if you've ever had one of these conversations with somebody that you feel like everything they say is just brilliant. And you, like, you sit there and you're like, hold up, wait a second, I need to write this down. This is brilliant. And the weird thing was, I know that this man is super old, and he's really old, but he, it was like he was speaking in tweets. Like, I'm, this is weird. But I wrote some of them down, and they all ended in 140 characters. It was bizarre. <laughs> absolutely bizarre. And so I'm sitting there talking to this guy, and he's talking about doing the will of God. Once you have conversations with God, and you become uh, accountable to God for what you have, uh, what he has done for you. And he said a few things that I think are very interesting. He said, your call is to a relationship with God who is on mission to redeem the world. And you are, you are where you are personally, in your marriage, in your family, and in your workplace by the design of God. And he doesn't send you off on your vocation. You go with him. My friends, this changes everything for me in my life. 
See, so often I'm looking and saying, Mark, what, what, is, what is next? God, what do you want me to do? And see, it changes how we look at our workplaces. It changes how you look at your family. It changes how you look at your kids. It changes how you look at your coworkers. Instead of saying, man, why am I in this city? God, why did you put me here? You begin to say, God, how can I be used for the glory of God? How can I be used to bring about your will to bring all men to yourself? Instead of looking at your family and saying, God, why is my relationship with my wife in just such terrible shape? Understand that your purpose in your marriage is to bring about the will of God to redeem all men unto himself. It changes everything. When we see every situation we're in, whether good or bad, the school you're in, whether it be terrible as it is, you know that you are there to bring about the glory of God and to bring about the fact and and share the gospel with where you are. Instead of searching out the next thing, instead of looking for the next place that you think God will show up and there I'll do the will of God, understand that where you are is the will of God. Where you are placed, where you are located right now is the will of God for you. Instead of searching out in another place, find it where you are. God is calling you to talk to your coworkers. He's calling you to talk to your family. He's calling you to talk to your neighbors about the glory of God and the gospel. And you might not know what the gospel is at this point, and I want to share that with you as we get into this. But for me, this changes everything. To know that Jesus was so compelled by this good news that he had that he had to go through Samaria. He was being compelled to go there. This is good for us to see, and we'll see as we look further in these gospel conversations that Jesus had why he was so compelled to go and talk to this woman at the well, this low life at the well. To the next little point here, I want us to quickly, for the brevity of time, I want us to just see this, because this is encouraging to me. I want us to notice quickly the humanity of Jesus. Sometimes, I know, I don't don't know if I'm tracking here with you, but sometimes I feel like I see Jesus as this, this man who was bearded and these nice white robes with, a, with like a force field protection around him, and he walked around and never got tired, and he was just this awesome dude who just never had any problems, right? I mean, sometimes we see, we see him in our picture books, our kid picture books. He's like, I don't know, some like superhero who like wears a cape, and it's just awesome. But we can see here in verse 7, excuse me, in verse 6, that Jesus was wearied from his journey and he was tired and he had to sit down and he had to relax and he had to just rest for a moment. In Hebrews, we can see again that Jesus is made like us. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, that he is a faithful high priest who has been just like us and been put in situations just like us and in every way became like us so we can feel what we're going through and understands what we're going through. He wept when Lazarus died. He was thirsty at the well. He was hungry when the Satan tempted him. This is good for us to understand that we have a God who, cannot, who can sympathize with us. When we are going through difficult times, when we're going through horrible, horrible situations in our lives and don't understand what's happening, we know that we have a God who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. That he got tired, and we get tired. He got thirsty, and we got thirsty. But we can approach his throne with confidence. This is good for us to know. The next thing that I want us to look at is just the necessity of gospel conversations. This is where I want to spend a good amount of time. What I think is so cool about Jesus is how he's able to just intertwine the gospel into everything he says. In verse 7, if we continue our story, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you... A Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that is asking, who is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Now, what I think is just so incredible is how Jesus is able to weave the gospel into this conversation, right? I mean, he's talking about a sip of water, and all of a sudden he's sharing the good news about himself with his woman in like two sentences. It's incredible. This week as I was studying this and going through this, I had the opportunity to kind of see this firsthand. Tuesday, I went and played basketball with our small group over at Sanford, and we're playing basketball, and there's like 14 of us, and so uh, our two teams are playing, five on five here, and our two teams are playing, and uh, it's still hotly debated, but our team lost. Um, Don't know how it happened. Um, And so I'm walking off the court, and this guy, Danny, and his son, Josh, are also there playing. Danny was not playing, but his son, Josh, was. And I went to go get some water, and I came back, and I just sat down next to, to Danny and or Donnie. Donnie was his name. I was talking to Donnie, and I was just talking to Donnie here and getting some conversations, and all of a sudden I had this thought in my mind. You know, if Jesus was sitting here talking to Donnie, how would he flip this conversation? How would he talk to this guy about himself? And so, man, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm struggling. I'm like, man, I am really thirsty. Could really go get some water right now. And he's not catching any of it, you know. Most people don't really catch those kind of things. And so I'm just asking him more questions, trying so hard to just get like a little softball that I can just go with. You know, like say, for him to say, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? It didn't come. So we're just talking, and I'm trying so hard. I just, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, Jesus, what would you say to this guy? And so he's telling me about his son who wants to go play D1 basketball. Sorry, Donnie, your son's not going to make it in D1 basketball. But anyway, he's talking to me about his son. And he's, I asked him where he goes to school, and he said, you know, he goes to a Christian school. And so I'm like, boom, thank you. I say, Donnie, are you guys believers that he would go to a Christian school? And he just looked at me and said, what's a believer? And so from that moment, we got the con- to talk about his faith and my faith and why we were here playing basketball. And I thought, if I had the intention that I had with Donnie in every conversation that I had to weave the gospel, somehow things could really get interesting, Right? If I saw every opportunity with a coworker, with a friend, with everybody that I come in contact with as an opportunity to somehow weave the gospel in, how interesting things would be. See, sometimes I just go about my day, and I'm sure you all have a nice working environment where you go and talk to people and you say, hey, how are you? I'm good, and you leave, and that's the end of that. How interesting that Jesus, in one conversation with a woman at a well, is able to share the gospel in like two sentences. Friends, this is the model that we need to set up. We need to learn from this. This is incredibly, incredibly important for us to understand how we share the gospel. Our hope is that we as people would weave the gospel into everything, into every conversation, into every time that we meet. When you leave this place and you go talk to your waitresses and your waiters, it's an opportunity for the gospel. When you go to work on Monday, that is an opportunity to share the gospel. Friends, everything that we do is about the gospel. It is about us sharing our faith with people, and about us demonstrating the hope that we have in Christ with the people who don't know him outside these doors. This is incredibly important that we learn from this. And you might say, what is the gospel? What, what are we supposed to share with people? Well, let's, let's keep reading. Jesus said in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty, but whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have 
to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, point, set, match, Jesus. And the one you have now is not your husband. But you have said, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Well done, lady. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you, have, you say in Jerusalem is the place where, we ought to, where people ought to worship. Now I want you to see here that social faux pas do not deter the mission of Jesus. Social faux pas do not deter the mission of Jesus. And what does this mean? Well, first of all, we can see that Jesus should have, if he would have been doing what the Jewish custom was, he should have gone around Samaria. So strike one, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. Strike two, Jesus is talking to a woman. Sorry, ladies. Strike three, Jesus is talking to a woman at noon. The significance of this is that people don't come to the well at noon to get water. It's the hottest, worst part of the day to come get water. She's scared of what other people are going to say. She knows that she is the talk of the town, and so she has chosen to come get water at 12 o'clock, the heat of the day, so she doesn't have to be around other people. She's a social outcast. Yet Jesus has been ordained to come to Samaria to talk to just this woman. Now this is the gospel. That Jesus would choose to come and talk to this Samaritan woman. Now you might say, I'm not a Samaritan woman. You're right, you're not. But let me tell you and give you some hope. In a lot of ways you are. Jesus was all about going to the unclean, going to the unrighteous, going to the people that other people did not love, and he was all about touching them and getting his hands dirty with them. One of my favorite passages to look at, Mark 1.40, Jesus touches and heals a leprous man. Now, leprosy is disgusting. People with leprosy would walk around with pots and they would scrape the boils off their body. They would have bells around them so that like cattle, when they came around, people could scurry because they were so scared of getting uncleanliness on them. They lived in their own colony. They were such outcasts. Yet these are the people that Jesus chose to touch and heal and love. In John 9, 1 through 6, Jesus makes a, a, a mud pie with his own spit and puts it in another guy's eyes. This person would have been unclean and unfit for the kingdom, but Jesus spits and makes a mud pie and sticks it in the guy's eyes. It's crazy. In Mark 3, Jesus has all these diseased people who have diseases and just nastiness and filth and cuts and boils and scars all over them. And these are the people that are pressed against him. These are the people that Jesus is touching. He chose to touch. He was compelled to touch. Now, friends, if you don't see the gospel in this, let me help you. You are those people. I am that person. I am the sinner who has no part, no 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 reason for have Jesus to come and touch and love and clean me off. I was dead in my sin. I was leprous. I was the Samaritan woman. I was an adulteress. I was all this. I was terrible in my own sin. I had no hope apart from Christ. But Christ came to this earth through a, through a little baby to be killed on the cross after living a perfect and sinless life to give us life and life to the full. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we communicate to people that don't know him. We don't have to go to seminars. We don't have to go to workshops. We don't have to study and read our whole lives to share the gospel. Friends, you have the gospel in you. The fact that Jesus saved you from the pit of hell 
and gave you a new life and a new righteousness is enough for us to compel us to go out and share this news with people. It's not enough for us to keep it and look at it and just say, oh, this is good, all right. This changes everything about us. We cannot look at this. We cannot look at the gospel, the fact that we were once dead in our sin and our trespasses and now we are alive in Christ and not do anything about it. We can't just sit here in this church and not do anything about what we have read in this Bible. It is too great and too risky not to. We risk a generation of people who will never know if we sit and idly watch and hope other people or other pastors will just share it with more people. This woman certainly didn't. Our point three today is the necessity of the woman to leave behind her water. If we continue reading, the woman asked a question about worship, which would be a fantastic sermon, but we don't have time to get to that. In verse 25, we'll pick up and it said, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming and he is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said anything. What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now I want us to see this. During sanctification, we move from the unsatisfactory to satisfaction in Christ. This woman is saying, Hey, I, I want some of this living water that you're talking about. I don't want to keep coming back to the well. I don't want to have to keep coming back and coming back and getting water. I just want this one time, one kind of thing where I can just come and get this water and never be thirsty again. And Jesus kind of flips the conversation and says, so tell me about your husband's situation. And he's saying to her, hey, I've got this living water that you don't have to keep going to a husband, seeking satisfaction, not getting it, going back to another husband, seeking satisfaction, not getting it, going to another husband, seeking satisfaction and not getting it. As we become more like Christ, we realize that he is enough, that he is satisfying. And we stop chasing after all these unsatisfactory things. For you, it might be, I don't know what, I'll just go ahead and share with you for me what it is. For me in my own life, I am constantly seeking after the next big thing. I constantly think, God, if I can just get this, if I can just make it here, everything will settle down and calm down and I can just start living out this will of God. I can start living out what you're calling me to. If I, can, if I can just get here, if I can just make it above water, then I'll st- everything will be okay and I'll finally be satisfied in your will and I'll finally start living what you're calling. If I can just get here. You, you know what happens. Once you get here, everything else piles up and you think, God, if I can just get here, I'll be satisfied. For you, it, uh, it might be a promotion. It might say, God, if I can just get that promotion at work, everything will fall into place and I'll finally be satisfied and everything will be okay. God, if I can just get my kids to be on schedule and everything go okay with my kids, then I'll be satisfied. If I can make a certain amount of money, if my retirement can be enough, then I'll be finally satisfied and finally be okay. And Jesus is flipping that on its head and saying, hey, that stuff that you're seeking after, that you're trying to find, is so unsatisfactory. It will never satisfy. I'm giving you the clean, pure, living water and saying, here it is. Seek after this. This is the only thing that's worthy, only thing that is good, only thing that will eternally satisfy. Leave your water behind and follow me. 
And friends, what a good word this morning for us to hear. That there's a lot of us that need to leave behind some stuff today. Our faith response to Jesus might be, God, I know in your own heart of heart, you might need to just pray, God, what is it in my heart that I just need to leave behind? What is it that I am searching after? What is it that I am chasing after? What am I seeking that continues to leave me unsatisfied? Christ is holding up his gospel, his goodwill, and saying, this is worthy. Seek after me. Seek after me. The question becomes to this, what is your faith response to the message of Jesus? What is your response? As you read this word, and as you flip the passages of this word, and you just see how good God is to us, what is your response? See, we can't read this Bible. We can't read it. We can't hear the message of Jesus and stay the same. We must, the gospel demands us make a response. And so for you, as you read this word, I would just ask you this morning to uh, let that saturate in you and that you would make a response to this word. The last thing that I want us to look at this morning is just this. The necessity of gospel multiplication. This is the most beautiful part of this passage and the thing that continues to give me hope. In verse 39, as we skip over this part about uh, the laborers and going out, these are great parts. I don't mean to skip them. We just don't have time to go through all of it. In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, God's design calls for personal, personal multiplication of the good news. In this passage, the woman at the well, we see the personal multiplication that Jesus designed for us and has set up to share the good news. He has designed this gospel to go out one by one, one by two, one by 12 in discipleship. And I know that y'all just got done with a series on discipleship, and so I don't want to rehash all that, but I want to say that our purpose here is to make disciples. What is incredibly interesting is this woman in one moment goes from talking to Jesus and being her life changed by Jesus to then going out and sharing the good news. She didn't go to class. She didn't go to seminary. She didn't learn the ABCs. She didn't have any tracks. All she knew was that Jesus changed her life and she had to share it. It's so easy for us to get caught up in, I just don't know enough. I don't think I can handle that. What if they ask me about the intertestamental period between the, two, the Old and New Testament? What do I say? What do I do? God, what am I going to do if I don't know everything that people, what about the dinosaurs? What am I going to say? Oh gosh. And so we don't share our faith. One of my favorite teachers, Erwin McManus, said in a sermon, he said, my stupidity doesn't mean there's not a God. And that's a bit freeing, right? If we have conversations with people just to say, hey, I'm kind of stupid, but what I know is that God is good and he has changed me from the inside out and I will never be the same. Because I am dumb and don't know all the answers does not mean that there's not a God. That's pretty freeing. And it's encouraging for us to know that we have the 12 disciples who are with Jesus, but we have this woman at the well who doesn't know anything other than Jesus has come to her and made her whole, and she has gone out and shared what God has done in her life. 
we can surely do the same. With all the resources and tools we have, God has chosen personal multiplication of his word. So again, this changes how we do life. This changes how we talk to people. This changes our workplaces. This changes our jobs. This changes our families to know that personal multiplication of his word is how he has set things up. It's tough, I know. It's awkward, I know. It's weird to talk to people about your faith. I understand that. I don't know why it is, but it is. But friends, we've got to persevere through that. We've got to find ways. We've got to have our eyes open to share our gospel with people because it is a good news. Every day in seminary, I had a professor who hurt my feelings almost every day. At the beginning of class and at the end of class, he would say, guys, if you're not making disciples, what on earth are you doing? And every class I would just leave like, man, am I making disciples? Am I going out, am I being compelled by the Spirit of God to go out and make disciples amongst a nation, amongst a city, amongst a community that just doesn't know him? And I want to ask you that same question. If you, a believer, are not making disciples, what are we doing? What is the point of all this? If we are not personally multiplying the good news of Jesus, what are we doing? This is all in vain. As we look back over this, and we can see this from the macro level, at the beginning, as I was reading through this passage, I'm thinking, why in the world, before I'd read all this, at the end, I was thinking, why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? This doesn't make any sense. This is kind of dumb. And sometimes I felt like that. God, why do you send me to these places? Why did you send me to Birmingham? God, why did you send me there? Why did you ask me to do this? Why did you allow me to lose my job? God, why did you allow me to get sick? God, why did this happen? We can see as we look back and we pan out, we can see that God has a plan and a purpose. His plan for Jesus going through Samaria was to have this one conversation with the Samaritan woman that then compounded on itself to an entire city, not an entire city, but a bunch of people in the city knowing Christ. And your plane might be grounded in a weird city and you might not like it, but there might be somebody there that you need to have a gospel conversation with. You might not understand why your team lost and it still might be debated, but you might need to have a conversation with a guy named Donnie. Friends, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know why stuff happens. I don't know why sometimes we feel compelled to go places, but I do know that God has a plan and a purpose for everything that we do. And we need to open our eyes to see his plan and seek after his will. And if you're having trouble understanding why things are happening, if you don't understand what's going on, a good old passage in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what his will, his good and perfect will is for your life. It's good to seek after the will of God. This is our purpose here, to do and seek after the will of God. I'm gonna ask the guys, the band to come on up as we pray through this. I just wanna ask for you to think through a few things here as the, as the guys come up. If I haven't royally messed this thing up this morning, I hope that you have seen a picture of the gospel through the, good Samarit- through the bad Samaritan. Excuse me. A woman comes to Christ through a conversation about water. A woman leaves behind her totally unsatisfactory way of life. 
a woman to whom it becomes necessary for her to share everything about what she has seen, and a woman whose community is changed by her testimony. And so there's four options for you today. There's four options of response for you. You've got them listed, but I just want to rehash them. I want to just ask that you make a response this morning. In your seat or on this altar, I just want to ask that you make a response to this message today. For some of you, you might need to get down on your hands and feet and just ask God, what is your will? You might need to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe that's your prayer today. You just need to seek and ask God, God, what is your will? God, I'm willing. If right now is where I'm supposed to be, then God, show me what it is that I need to do today. Don't let me wait till tomorrow or till I'm older, till I have kids, till I have grandkids. Let me start today doing your will here, your revealed will, will to share the good news and to make disciples. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to understand what it is that God is calling you to today. Maybe you need to wrestle, wrestle around with having gospel conversations. Maybe you need to just think and pray about some people in your mind that you know you need to have some serious conversations about the gospel with. Only you know those people, and so maybe you just need to spend some time in your chair just thinking and writing down some names saying, God, these people this week, God, would you give me opportunities and eyes to see these people for who you see them as? Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to be like the woman and leave behind something. This woman left behind her water jar. Maybe you need to come to this altar and proverbially lay down whatever it is, your job, your family, your friends, whatever it is that you are seeking satisfaction and maybe you need to lay that down on the altar this morning. And lastly, maybe you have people in your mind that you know you need to start discipling. These things are necessary. These things should be compelled within us to go and do. Let me pray for us, and as the band finishes this song, if you want to come here and just kneel at the altar, if you want to stay in your seat, if you want to have a conversation with the person next to you, feel free to move about, do what you need to do, respond to the gospel today. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for what you have done through this church and through each one of us. God, we know that you alone are worthy. God, we know that only you alone are able. We come to this altar, we come to our seats knowing that we bring nothing to the table. Our good deeds, our good righteousness, whatever that might be, is filthy rags in comparison to the righteousness that you give us through Christ on the cross. So God, we are praying that not our will be done, but we are praying that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we understand that we are so fallen and so short, and each day we struggle. But we are reminded in Hebrews that we have a faithful high priest and we can approach his throne with confidence. Not with pride, but with confidence and humility, submitting to the fact that you have died and raised to life, that we might have life, and that our sins are covered, our sins are forgiven. So God, we come to you and give you praise and we worship you now for what you have done in this earth. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.